0: of the color in cannabis podcast today's episode we have Evelyn LaChapelle super excited to have you here
1: Super excited to be here.
0: Um, this is really exciting for me. Most of our guests so far, I've really kind of known them outside of cannabis or before we've, we've done this. But with you, I found out about you kind of from Cannabis Press and kind of seeing you on a lot of other podcasts in addition to working with you with the Equity Trade Network. So very honored to have you here today.
1: Super excited. This is dope. <laughs> excellent. Excellent.
0: Um, so I guess let's just start with your story. How many people kind of know of you and know of your situation?
1: Yes. So story, journey, I haven't figured out what I want to call it yet. Um, because story sounds to me like it has an ending and I haven't got to the end yet. Um, but my journey into this space is through my 87 months in prison, boom, 87 months for depositing cannabis profits into my bank account. Uh, what so many people are doing now, um, it's traded on the global stock exchange. It was deemed essential during a global pandemic. Um, And it's legal in more states than not. Uh, But so many people are still sitting in prison. And for 87 months, I was one of them.
0: That's crazy, the idea of going to prison for banking, basic banking. Banking. So how did you actually get into cannabis, get into the space to even be depositing money? Um, mm,
1: How did I get there? I met a man.
0: <laughs> Often the beginning of a bad story. Often the
1: beginning <laughs> of a really bad story. I met a man. Um, but I don't blame that man because I was 23 at the time. I was in college, my third year at Loyola Marymount mm-hmm. uh studying business and entrepreneurship. And mm-hmm. I was in a relationship. Um Not that man, but I was in another toxic relationship, and I was expecting my daughter. Um, And so when I met a man, my life was already kind of like halfway good and halfway in shambles. And um, he was already in the process or he was already running an operation of shipping cannabis from California to North Carolina and had been doing that and this is all information that I learned after the indictment so meeting him there wasn't like oh this is what I do you know the sort of in the there was no market. there was no resume he was just a really nice guy that was making my life a little easier while I was dealing with the other stuff um and so Maybe two or three months into that friendship, he's like, Hey, I am I've got money coming back and I'm using north I'm using Western Union. I'm paying Western Union two hundred bucks. That could be money for you. We just put it in the account. Why not? Um, my experience with the bank at that point was A, I was a trust fund kid. So my grandfather had already set up like recurring deposits into my bank account. So larger deposits was not something that was an alert for me. Um, And then I had worked, been working at Citibank for maybe like a year in Beverly Hills. So a $5,000 deposit is like a a reoccurring, you know, like it's not a red flag. And so, Someone putting money in your bank just did not ring any red flags for me. I did that literally just for the duration of my pregnancy for nine months. Um, at the end of the nine months, decided that I would turn my baby daddy into a housewife. That didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you know the phrase, can't turn out into a housewife. Yes, yes, yes. Um, bless his heart. But um, and, and so I moved on, and I never looked back. I never me and uh, Corvain the 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 person who was running the cannabis lost contact and we didn't see each other again until we were sitting in court going to trial 4 years later.
0: Jesus. So, you weren't actively like working in the industry when all this happened. You're just kind of helping someone out to help make some ends meet yeah. and then a couple years later it comes back to bite you in the butt.
1: Bite me. I had just moved back to the bay. So, all of this is happening in LA. Mm-hmm. So, I had just moved back to the bay. Um, with my daughter, who was like two at the time, three at the time, moved back to my mom's in San Lorenzo and went outside to smoke a joint. and one of the neighbors called the police suspicious activity. <sighs> bastards so till this day when I go over to her house I, I I don't care if it's cold outside I roll the windows down I blast the music like somebody's gonna pay for <laughs> calling the police that night absolutely and uh, there was a warrant out for my arrest and like that's how it slapped me in the face like they I had no idea no letters had come in the mail no one had knocked on my door no one had ever come looking for me just this random stop. And there was a warrant out, a federal warrant out for my arrest.
0: Jesus, that must have been terrifying.
1: Yeah, that was like, and I just smoked. Mm -hmm. So talk about killing your high, right? Like high gone. (laughs) And he's putting me in handcuffs. And it's like 11 o'clock at night. I just stepped outside. um, And I just started screaming like, mom, you know. Um, She comes running down the stairs. And the only thing he can tell me is it's a warrant from ICE. And I'm like, ice, you know? So yeah. now we're like, ice? I was born down the street. Yeah. <laughs> her, we're like, like, what are you, you, you talking about? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not a... Um, but they couldn't tell me anything. I sat in jail in down, downtown Oakland and then Santa Rita for about four or five days before an arraignment, before I even Jesus. had an idea mm-hmm. of what was going on. Um, and I'm in my LMU hoodie, you know, when I get to court, um, and the arraignment just starts listing off all these charges and the sentencing guidelines. So it was like, you're being charged with money laundering, uh, 20 year maximum. You're being charged with, uh, distributing with the intent to sell over a hundred kilos. Uh, I think it was like 30 years, like all these like crazy ass numbers. Um, and that is the beginning of my <laughs> transition into the cannabis space.
0: Yeah. So you said you're you're kind of a trust fund kid before that. Yeah. So has you had any experience with the law, like getting handcuffs, jail, anything like that?
1: None. That was my first time in handcuffs. I've okay, uh, always
0: wondered about this, because I've seen you around in cannabis doing a lot yeah. of stuff, doing a lot of interviews, and I have friends that go to jail. And. They don't look like you. Right. And so, and I'm wondering like, I, I keep thinking like, how the hell was she in jail? How, how did, well, maybe she had some previous jail experience to kind of prepare for this. What was it like to go from being college, trust fund, all that stuff to being locked up and in that culture?
1: That is a question I haven't answered in therapy yet. So I don't have an yeah. answer. No, because it was so, it was like, it was devastating. Mm-hmm. And I have, I won't say that I have, Skin, but I had to quickly figure out how to like toughen up, Um, and so I was always the oddball in jail. Like it's pretty obvious that I didn't belong there, Um, and and my mind had to adapt um, quicker than I I it would have normally adapted, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so yeah, I had grew up not like super privileged, but never wanting um, private school, Catholic school, uh, college was paid for. Uh, the stipulations was if I, you know, maintain my grades in college, my car was paid for rent was paid for. Like the rules was you're not even supposed to work. Nice. So I, I, I'm 18. I've got a brand new car. I moved to LA. I'm going to college and all expenses are paid, mm-hmm. um, from my late grandfather. So, Even going to jail now, looking back at like what my why is, like proving myself now is really for my grandfather, like to make sure that all that work that he put into my future doesn't go to waste. Um, But to answer that question, going into the jail, like when they, when I was found guilty and they put me in handcuffs and I'm going to jail for real this time, I looked at the marshals and I'm like, but is it safe? (laughs) You know, like I'm and and I'm tried in North Carolina. So I'm on the other side of the country. Yeah. I don't have anybody to call. I don't have no cousins in here. At least in Santa Rita, I had an auntie that was a sheriff. I had some cousins that had been in and out, but I'm in North Carolina, so the only thing I can ask a marshal is like, is it safe? And he told me yes, and that still did not bring any comfort because for like the next 2 hours, I just screamed. I mean, like melt down. Like, what do you mean I'm not going to pick my daughter up from daycare today? Like, I have, I had every intention of getting home to my kid. I went to trial thinking like, a, this is weed. There's no way that you guys are finna do this to me. Um, but I am a trust fund kid. I do have a resume. I do have an education. I'm not married anymore, but like I'm checking off like all this white picket fence shit yeah. that they just did not care about. Um, so the transition was crazy.
0: Jesus. Um, this question I probably wouldn't normally ask on a podcast. Ask. Did you have to fight?
1: I didn't have to fight. I what had a thinking? strategy. Okay. Find the stud, be the friend. <laughs> <laughs>
0: smart, smart, smart choice, smart choice, smart choice. I
1: didn't have to fight. There was a couple verbal arguments, but um, I have a very soft demeanor. Um, very God-fearing, and so I was I was protected the whole way through.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. That's yeah. Beautiful. How did your family react to all this?
1: Devastated. Mm-hmm. I'm the youngest. I'm the one that they invested in. Um, devastated like I'm still picking up the pieces of Absolutely. like that devastation so, and then jumped into the industry right and they're like yeah. what <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, so, so how long were you sentenced for and then did you do the whole time was 87 months the full sentence did you get out early what was that
1: The crazy part is the feds do this thing where they, I go to trial, you're guilty, they sit you in jail, and now they send probation to come do a pre-sentencing interview. And in that interview, they're trying to find out if you're an upstanding citizen or not. At least that's what I thought. So I checked down the list. I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. Luckily, I told them that I smoke weed because that was a saving grace later. But they take that information and then... They compare that to the sentencing guidelines, and then the probation makes a recommendation to what the judge should sentence you to. Mm -hmm. The recommendation came back at 24 years. Whoa. And I'm sitting in a Bible study in the jailhouse when they deliver the packet to me and it's in months I don't even know 24 times 12 I don't know but I had to like get a pencil out and do the math and it lands at 24 and I just like close the packet back up and I'm like I can't even deal with this right now like I think at this point I had already been sitting in, in the county jail for like eight or nine months Jesus. um so once I get that I'm really fighting a 24-year sentence mm-hmm. uh, we had paid for an attorney the first time around we had paid we had I had cashed out 35000 for this attorney, um, and he disappeared after the guilty verdict because I still owed him 3000 hmm. So now my mom has to dig back in her pockets, um, and she hires a sentencing attorney for $15,000. Um, and he's able to, he hooks me up to, like, a lie detector. Like, he finds all these loopholes hmm. um, and presents it to the DA, and the DA's like, okay, fine, we'll take it down to 11 years. And I was like, nope. And then it was like, okay, nine years, nope. And then he finally gets to eight. And um, for me, that was like, do I come on when my daughter is 24? Or do I come on when she's 10? Because she had just turned four, you know? Um, And so we go to court uh, ready to accept the eight-year sentence. But that means that I have to waive my rights to an appeal, so it was like, once you take this, you're it's done. Over. Your only other option is to take the 24 and then go fight for an appeal while you're sitting on the 24 years. Mm. So I took the eight, no rights to an appeal. The judge gave me 10 months off of that. So I ended up with 87 months, which was seven years and three months. I, um, You get a year off for completing the drug program because if you smoke weed, you're addicted to weed. And so, you know, here we are in the <laughs> drug program <laughs> with a real drug yeah. problem. And so you get a year off for that. And then because I didn't get into any altercations, I you uh, get good time, 15% off. So I end up serving a total of five years okay. and three years probation.
0: But so that's crazy from trust fund college to five years in the feds for some basic banking.
1: For some basic banking. Yeah. And it doesn't stop. I just had bank accounts closed two weeks ago.
0: Just because just of? Just
1: because I'm a felon. Jesus. So it doesn't stop. Like no. the, the punishment doesn't mm-hmm. go away.
0: I definitely want to, um, I guess, catch up to where you're at mm-hmm. now. But I'm also curious about where you grew up and all that because we kind of ran past that. So where were you born and raised and what was that like?
1: Born and raised in Oakland. Um, I always sort of attribute that upbringing to my, like how naive I was about depositing cannabis funds into the bank because, you um, it's it's, it's a lot of weed here you know and and I had been consuming probably since I was like 16 or 17 um I had never seen anybody really get hemmed up for weed Mm -hmm. um it was in abundance (laughs) you know what I'm saying so um
0: it's such a permissive environment out here and the industry is kind of bubbling up out here, so I can see that being a little it
1: shocking. never. Yeah, it never crossed my mind that oh, he's selling weed; he's a dope boy. Like mm-hmm. you, like it wasn't real dope to me. Yeah, um, and so yeah, I grew up in in Oakland. Um, I spent some time in the Hayward Unified School District, mm-hmm. and then I finished high school at Saint Elizabeth, right at the Fruitvale. Yeah, so uh, I grew up in like Little Mexico. Yeah, absolutely up on Thirty Fifth. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then. As soon as I was able, at graduation I moved to LA and I lived in LA for nine years.
0: Okay, okay. Um, So when you did get out, how did you transition back into the real world and then into cannabis?
1: Uh, So when I got out, I had no intention of like, I'm like, I'm not even smoking. I don't want to see it. I don't want to touch it. Mm -hmm. You know, I hadn't smoked in five years. so I don't have like that inkling to get into it. And um, my career was in sales and catering. Mm -hmm. And prior to being locked up, I was at the Oakland Marriott Convention Center. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to get back to my regular life, mind my own business. And we're Climbing up this ladder again Um, So I started as a sales and catering coordinator At the Omni in San Francisco Like I was Released February the 1st I think I, I I applied for the job like Immediately, I think I started working by March. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was for sure working for my birthday, which is March 8th. So mm-hmm. I was working within a couple of weeks at mm-hmm. the Omni uh, on the job for two months, minding my own business, and a coworker Googled my name. And at the time, the only article that was there was uh, published by ICE.
0: can't imagine how they frame it yeah oh
1: my god she's moving tons (laughs) drug lord drug lord (laughs) my co-defendant natalia who's about as big as me they've got her in the article driving 18 wheelers (laughs) worth of weed um so so they called me into the office and was like i'm gonna need you to pack your things and leave and um so i had no intention to getting into this space this space just welcomed me with open arms. And it's been the only space that I've been able to thrive in. It's like this, our waitressing.
0: Yeah. So when you did get into the biz, did you immediately start with the product line? Did you start with the clothes? Like what was your entree into the cannabis business when that happened? No,
1: the coolest part was I got on with a nonprofit organization that is focused on releasing cannabis inmates. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, they did an event here in San Francisco, which was crazy because it was an Uh, Big Rock, I think, Investors, Mm -hmm. um, smaller size conference. I was at the mixer and they asked me to come speak. Mm -hmm. And it was like my first time being at a cannabis event. And it's all white guys in suits. Yeah like and mind you I'm fresh out of the prison I'm like what the hell is going on and I can't smoke because I'm on probation but like there's like passing the joint and I get up there I speak I got 12 minutes to share my story and in the audience was the CEO and CEO, COO of Virtosa mm-hmm. uh, Infusions Absolutely, down yeah. in Oakland and
0: yeah, they make amazing products so make I'm amazing. about to have some Uncle Arnie's this afternoon they for make amazing
1: yeah. products and as soon as I got off the stage there was like we wanna we've got a job for you we have to hire you we have to what do you do that i was like i do events you know so my first job uh in the space was the um, what was i in i don't even community engagement manager for vertosa um up until really uh, until the pandemic um and That was like, that was the coolest shit for me. Cause now, like, my first staff meeting, we're talking about moving pounds and tons, you know? Like, it wasn't 17 units. (laughs) It was a lot. Yeah, Uh, big time. It was big time. And so that was, that, that, I've been here ever since. That was, 2019.
0: Excellent. I know we've we've worn numerous hats since then. So yes. Tell me about some of the brands you've launched or or things you've done since then.
1: Um. So sales. I mean, community engagement manager with Vertosa, leading like their trade shows and their mixers, etc. And then COVID comes, everything goes digital, and so then I'm shifting to their virtual presence, so their uh, webinars. Um. And then I picked up a hat at uh, Last Prisoner Project as their community engagement. Um, um, and then that transitioned into running their reentry mm-hmm. services. Um, you want to
0: talk a little bit about the last prisoner project? Not really. Fair enough.
1: <laughs> Bless their hearts. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so I, I spent like two years there. Uh, recently parted ways in May of this year. So I learned a lot. Um, and then There's
0: a lot of interesting people there, from very different backgrounds.
1: Very different very different not a
0: lot of people necessarily locked up but yes yes it's a very interesting program yeah. listen yeah.
1: <laughs> and I will I will say this is that my heart is for the people that are in the prison and there is a lot of work that needs to be done in policy and legislation which is great and it needs to be done but if we're not amplifying the voices of the people. My, my problem was I could get up and I could speak and I could share my story and you could raise a million dollars and then I could go home and not have no groceries. Yeah. And so how do I then create a space for people to directly support me? And my child. Um, and then now, how do I help other formerly incarcerated create this sort of same lane? Absolutely. And then that's where. So then I jumped into my own nonprofit, uh, Ladies Loving and Living. Like, how do I what I wanted to create there? Like, how do I create it here? That's more constituent. Uh,
0: facing. So tell us more about ladies loving and living.
1: Ladies loving and living is yes. the opposite of ladies riding and dying, yes. right? Like that story. Can you that's say started, that again. I mean, it's the opposite of riding and dying. Yeah. We are not going to ride and die anymore. I am calling all the women to love and live. Yes. Uh, it's a. It's just. A, it's a mind shift. It's a. Um, it's a mindset of just like. We all say that we'll die for our kids, but how many of us are focused on living for our kids? Absolutely. Um, and and that comes in so many different. Like, are you healthy? Are you staying out of trouble? Like, are you taking? Are you still taking penitentiary chances? Because it's not worth it. Yes. Um, and so, ladies, loving and living has a three prong program. And so, when you first come home, you are greeted with a welcome home kit, mm-hmm. and not just like some deodorant and soap right like a blow dryer a flat iron uh gift cards to macy's and target so that you can like restore some of the dignity there's nothing worse honestly like prison is bad what really struck a chord with me was being treated so lowly knowing in the streets like y'all really can't see me in real life Mm -hmm. you know and so that came down to like that nasty uniform that you have us in we don't have we can't comb our hair like we're cutting our hair with toenail clippers where men are getting full-blown clippers like prison is just not built to house women it never was and so the first thing you want to do when you come home is sort of like restore yourself Mm so uh there's a there's a the the bag at like cost is like 500 bucks. So you're getting like some good stuff. And then because I learned that the job market is mm-hmm. not favorable to people who are past conflict. It wasn't favorable to me. And I had an education, mm-hmm. a resume, a like And it did not do anything for me. And so uh, the second program is the Lady Entrepreneurs, where we will provide, where we, where, where we provide grants for the women to start their micro businesses. Right now it's just vending machines. So if you can find placement for a vending machine, we'll provide the money for the vending machine and, uh. It's not a million dollar business, but it teaches you basic business skills, Mm -hmm. inventory, revenue versus profit. Like it's not all yours to take home. And we're targeting nightclubs in Oakland Mm -hmm. um, for several reasons. But the nightclubs have just historically been left out of the uh, philanthropy. Mm -hmm. So you guys take a lot from the community. Here's a way to give back. And then the third part of the program is wellness. I'm just, I've been home for five years and I'm just sort of getting to the process of like processing prison. And it's really like a recovery. It's like a recovery process. You've got to grieve everything that you lost. Mm -hmm. You've got to like overcome a thousand obstacles. And when you come home, you don't have time. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have time to like meditate. Like I have to pay these bills, you know, like and and my daughter's in private school. So I really don't have time, you know, like, so, um, so there's, there's a three, Three programs at Ladies Loving and Living, and that did come from what I learned at Last Prison Project. So excellent, excellent. You know.
0: So how many folks have you guys served?
1: Right, we've got three so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I was super grateful this. Just this past week, I got connected with Core mm-hmm. um, Reentry Services from the Alameda Probation. Yes, yeah. and so they have a new reentry uh, building down by the airport, and they just did a Christmas event, and they purchased uh, five hundred dollars worth of uh, the Wheat Ladies products nice, nice. Um, because they're supporting formerly incarcerated mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, um, and they gave them as gifts to their clients, but bigger than that was now I have a direct pipeline because prior to this, it's like, I'm reaching out to the halfway houses. Do you have any women? Do you have any women? And so now she's like, here, you have a whole space. You can come teach your classes. Oh, Excellent. Right. Like, and so that just happened last week. So we'll tap in again. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And
0: definitely. So I guess off the podcast, I want to plug you into a couple other programs. I do a lot of reentry work and I yes. know some folks would love to talk to you about that. I just left a board meeting a couple of weeks ago. Oh, i council and so. Yeah.
1: That's yeah, not for yeah. all this, but there's lots of folks who would <laughs> because, love to talk to you
0: about that. Because a lot of there's a lot of as cannabis as legal and there's a lot of people who are dealing with reentry, dealing with the fact that this is this legal space for people mm-hmm. to work in. A lot of these people have prior experience in this space and so connecting them so I know they'd love to talk to you
1: about yes. that. Yes. And the women are normally ignored in reentry services. Like even when I when you are released from the feds, you have to go to a halfway house. It Martha Stewart had to go to a halfway uh-huh. house. Like it doesn't matter. But when I get to the halfway house in Oakland, it's thirty men to like four or five women
0: it's not comfortable
1: it's not safe like like and then I tried my like same tactic right like okay meet one person and coast like that's how I like get my safety like I just gotta have one person on the team that I know is gonna ride for me turns out he was a little crazy and so he ends up like trying to bust down the door to get to me like it's a whole Situation. That's crazy that
0: they don't separate you guys because obviously that's a physical safety issue for the women in that These space. These men
1: have been in prison for years.
0: Yeah. Trapped in a house with women. Trapped can't in a eat.
1: house with women and you can't get them? Like,
0: scary, terrifying. That's crazy. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah, no. so, so, yeah, so, so hopefully filling a void for the women coming home. Uh, statistics say that there's nine hundred over 900,000 women in this country in some form of custody.
0: Yeah, my mom has done some work in the prisons, and she was giving me some statistics about the percentage of women who are in there because of some involvement with the man. It's always like, not the actually the crime that they committed; it was them just ride or die. Just, I'm going to hold my man down while he's out here doing whatever the hell he's going to do. You lock you sit down for him, and that is a terrible story that a lot of women go through.
1: And it's not just us. Like I was in a camp, so you would think that the prison was full of black women. We were always the minority in the camps. It's all white collar, middle aged white women Mm -hmm. and it's like my husband didn't file his taxes or my husband lied on some government contracts. And I'm like, and granny is sitting in here. Miss Annie may, you know, like my bunkie was Wendy. She was a seven day Adventist Mormon, you know, Mm -hmm.
0: like that's crazy. It's crazy. That's a whole whole nother. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We won't go down that, that rabbit hole, but for sure the prison is filled with, with women who, by association, are sitting down. That's
0: terrible. So after, or it, after you started, ladies, ladies loving themselves.
1: Ladies loving and living.
0: Ladies loving and living. Yes. So what are some of the other projects you started after that?
1: So actually, uh, what came before that was the uh, the wheat lady. Mm-hmm. It started off as eighty seven which represents the 87 months that I spent in prison. Um, and then the Wheat lady grew from that. Um, and now it's the number one gift shop for the Wheat lady in your life. Excellent. Um, and so that was like my baby, my project. Um, I love it. I love creating a space for the women in cannabis. Mm-hmm. What I stepped back and figured out was, my life was not represented in this industry and by my life I mean like I listen to like raunchy ass rap music <laughs> you know like like I'm still saved and from sanctified the from but the I'm town. from the town yeah. right and so um, I still like my one of my favorite pastimes is to pop bottles in the club um, and so what does that look like in the cannabis space and if you're a woman in, in walking in you might find something that speaks to your wellness like oh you want to do some yoga you want to stretch you want to relax oh you're a mother with anxiety there may be a lane for you but what's your lane if you are spending 500 on a lace front 400 on some nails like like that's a lane like black women spend more we are consumers absolutely good or bad whatever you want to call it like we are consumers and And we're comfortable with this plant because it's been in the culture. It's been in the house. Absolutely. And yet no one in this industry has tapped into that. True. So that's where the weed lady came in.
0: Okay, so weed lady is... uh it's an online store it yes. has a lot of cool merchandise. Yes,
1: yeah, so it is uh, your high essentials. We also have three pre-rolls in a dispensary near you. Mm-hmm. If your dispensary does not have the Wee Lady pre-rolls, tell them they are tripping and they need to give me a call. It's easy. It's literally call the com. It's like you used to call the Wee Man. Yeah. Call the Wee Lady. The only difference is we don't have to flirt with you. We're not going <laughs> to be like, what's up? You trying to smoke later? What's up? Like, I can get dinner. Like, bro, I just want to eat. (laughs) please just (laughs) drop off the weed um and so uh so yeah we've got the three pre-rolls uh the weed lady is really uh, a lifestyle brand that is mimicking my life which is grind time boss time and break time like no matter where I'm at in the day I can normally Uh, attribute it to one of those categories like this podcast I consider this boss time I've stepped away from the grinding and this is like you know putting on the hat of showing up and so uh there's the the indica sativa and hybrid for those parts of your days and then um and then I was like, what else do we do? Like, during break time, I like to light my candles. And so I have a, I have a daytime and a nighttime candle. I have a rose gold grinder. Oh, I think I thought I meant to bring it in my pocket. I've got this cool rose gold keychain where you can keep your joint. I go through the airports with it. I never I'm never leave the house without my joint. Um, and then for those people that um, are the wee lady in your life, like the hoodie. Yeah. Because there's lots of us who are the wee ladies in our... Friend group. Absolutely. You know, it's always Absolutely. one. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah.
0: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, so, I know you have, like, a bunch of other projects happening around always. after that. So, just tell us more. Tell us more.
1: Um, and so, then there's Canna Kick It, mm-hmm. which Definitely
0: we, talk about that. I've done a yes. good bunch of those events. Those are a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> so, then Canna Kick It came because I am an event coordinator mm-hmm. uh, by by trade or whatever you want to call that. Um, So I partnered up with uh, Eric Washington of Oakland. We actually went to high school together. Uh, Go St. Elizabeth. That's no longer there. Um, And so we did that this year. We launched this year. We had three successful can of its uh, right up in the hills of Oakland and the last one at the former Rosemary Jane. Um, So I'm excited to get back to that. We've taken a break for the winter. We'll come back in May and I'm pivoting. We are pivoting. Mm -hmm. That is going to be a cannabis entrepreneurial conference with a kind of kick it mixer. Nice. Um, so that people can come and get educated. Like Mm -hmm. it's cool. Like I want to kick it with y'all for sure. And I want to party for sure. But how can I add value to the community? And so we'll teach you, you'll be able to come and get in and listen to the panels and on every license level, Mm -hmm. uh, cultivation, distro, retail, but my favorite is how do you get in the industry without a license? Yes, so there's white labeling and this partnership. So I'll probably be leading that panel, excellent. Um, but yeah, so there'll be it'll be a conference sometime in May. Um, and then we'll have the can of kick it mixer.
0: Yeah, I love the can of kick events. And um, yes. the, the, the ones that I went to, a, it was nice, it, beautiful location, yes, beautiful home in the hills. Um, really eclectic group, a mix of our community, mm-hmm. older folks, younger folks, people of different economic backgrounds, and then a lot of cool brands kind of promoting their work. Had a DJ, we had yep. food and it was just a very relaxed atmosphere for people to kind of interact and learn about new products. And as someone who does a lot of product demos at a lot of places, mm-hmm. they're often very stale, mm-hmm. and they're rarely talking to our community. Or if they are mm-hmm. talking to our community, it's very few people are interested in my particular product. And that, a lot of people were just curious about what we were doing there. And so I had a lot of amazing interactions with people, introducing folks to dabbing who had never tried dabbing yes. before, showing off all these different products. And it was just, it felt really good just to be immersed in our culture, and immersing people who were passionately interested in what we were doing and wanted to learn more about it. And it was food and it was fun and it was music and all that kind of stuff so I really enjoyed those events so I'm looking forward to the next one as well
1: that came from my passion to pop bottles like I like to dance I like to have fun but I'm also like I don't enjoy liquor so when I say I enjoy popping bottles it's really I just pay for the table Mm -hmm. because that's what you have to do yes I I do not enjoy liquor and so wanting to create a space where people can sort of have that same day party vibe Um, and so we didn't do it for the first one but for the second one we did bottle service Oh, amazing. Which was like, you know, when I go to the club now, bottle service is starting off. Like 800 bucks. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. Just for a seat. That's all <laughs> I'm paying for. I think I did for the culture, uh, the old Mexicali rose for like 400 bucks to, you know, to buy a table. So we had ours at 250. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got uh, a bottle of the Oakland mm-hmm. can of beverage. They got food. They got their own reserve table. And we sold out of the VIP. The VIP tables. So I'm like, you can pop bottles that come with weed, yeah. you know?
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So
1: that's what I was trying to create. That's and it dope. worked out. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's Ladies Loving and Living. It's the Wee Lady Gift Shop, the pre-rose, of Kick It. And then next up will be the podcast with Jason. Okay. okay. So that's all the hats that I'm excellent, wearing. Excellent,
0: excellent. Well, there's more. Well, tell us about the podcast. Yes. but work Because you have online courses. They're coming.
1: They're, co- They're coming. Yeah, it's yeah. coming with the podcast. So the podcast and okay. the courses will... T- it's, yes, those are going to be married,
0: okay, right? Okay, so tell us about the podcast. yeah So
1: the podcast with Jason Washington, I'm so excited. Because Jason was
0: our last guest for "Pop Plants Over Pills for folks who remember. Yes, reason.
1: yes, who was also formerly incarcerated, yeah. also a private school kid like me. He went to St. Mary's. Um, super
0: passionate individual. Super passionate
1: <laughs> individual. Um, but we are approaching this industry sort of the same way right now how does it make money yeah. and if it's not making money what are we doing Absolutely. and so the podcast is really to like highlight the what are we doing piece of this industry a lot of this industry is heavy on branding which you have to be like if you don't have a brand you will fall like you've got to have a strong brand but more than that you have to have like fundamental business skills and things need to make sense and why are we like running in circles and making like 80, 90 dollars like that doesn't make sense and so uh, during the podcast we're like breaking down these numbers like what does it really cost to bring a pre-roll to market what does it really cost to run a distro center what does it really cost to run a retail Um, and then from that the course I'm so excited and the course was really to benefit me. And then I was like, Oh, this could really change the trajectory of this, this whole industry because currently retailers are operating cannabis retailers. I don't know how they're operating. Like, let's be clear. Barely. Barely. And I think, it was like, you got a license, you got excited, you opened a store, you hired people, you staffed the store. But I don't think anybody went back to be like, how do you operate a retail store? Historically, how has retailers made money? Retail business is not new. Costco, Nordstrom's, Macy's, like they've been doing this since the beginning of time. I just read there's a retailer's journal the same way that there's a science, you know, like there's a business of retailing that hasn't been learned in the dispensaries. Mm-hmm. And so currently I just this is where the course came from. Currently Jason spends a lot of his time doing these store demos. Yes. He went to a store demo recently. He moved 55 units, Plants wow. silver Pills, because he's a salesman. Yeah, he's
0: a play. Like, he he's, he's play. not I'll playing. I'll do a demo and move one unit, maybe. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a, it's a hard slog. So, 55 is insane.
1: Bro is not playing. Everybody who walks in the door, plants. have you heard of Plants Silver Pills? Here's Plants Silver Pills. It's better than that. Like, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's got it, it yeah. right? Um, and then when he's not there, I think we check the numbers, it moved, like, two units. Like, so what is the difference? Obviously, the store demos work. Costco does them every day. Sephora does them every day. Nordstrom's like the only difference is they're using the staff that they already have. And they're moving the products that they've already bought. Where dispensaries are saying, hey, your products are sitting on the shelf. Can you come move them? Mm -hmm. Bro, I already sold it to you. I sold it to you at a discounted price, at a wholesale price. That was very low because you guys are already (laughs) low balling us. I probably waited 60 days to get paid on the on the half a pound that I, you know what I'm saying? Like we're waiting 60 days to get paid $600, $800, That's which is crazy. And you want me to stop doing what I'm doing and come spend four or five hours in your store moving the product that I'm not going to get any additional money off the back end. And you might not speed up how you pay my invoice. Yeah.
0: Or order again.
1: Or order again. Yeah that's crazy. It pissed me off as a brand, mm-hmm. but then I step back and I'm like, as a retailer, how can I increase my ROI? If I am, if, because I do think the retailers have a good heart, like I want to put social equity on my shelves, which is why they purchase from us, but it's not moving because we don't have the same big brand budgets as the, the others, you know, um, how do I move the product that I've already bought? Well, I've got about four or five bud tenders on duty right now that are acting as cashiers. Let me come in, identify what products are not moving, and let me train your staff on how to move them. Let me train your staff to work like Jason. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. The numbers are there. It's already proven. It works. Mm-hmm. You're just not rotating your staff. We can walk into a dispensary right now, and if a brand is not doing a demo, there's not a demo. Correct. If you walk into Costco, they're demoing bagels. Mm -hmm. Bagel Bite did not send an employee down Mm -hmm. to demo Bagel Bites. They they pulled somebody and was like, "You're gonna stand here and and introduce bagel bites to everybody." So uh, that's the course. That and it's not a course; it's consultation. I have consultation on sale for now. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's, she's, she's. <laughs> and uh, and and my promise is to retailers that I can increase your sales. And and it's it's not nothing that I made up. It's what retailers are already doing.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. I'm just excited to help. And then I'll jump back in with more flower product. But I can't keep putting flower product out there that may or may not sell because I can't be there every day.
0: Yeah, that's a big issue. <laughs> it's a big <laughs> issue. I have demos booked for that all next week. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's and
1: when you think about your time in your career, because yeah. I just got into a heated argument with somebody on Instagram. I don't do that often, but I had time that day because uh, actually, Tucky Blunt. Mm-hmm. Um, posted like, terms got this industry effed up. And I was like, in addition to terms, this selling your wheat twice yeah. has got us effed up. And I'm going back and forth with someone who was like, you're just lazy. You need to show up for brand awareness. That's why your three pre-rolls are sitting on the shelves. Honey, in my real world, my time is like $45 an hour. That's not even a lot. That's not a lot. But $45 an hour is what I, I earn in, in, in the real world. And so when you're asking me to sit down for these five hours, now you're asking me to put another 250 into this. And I'm not getting no return on that. Brand awareness happens here. Like I'm, I'm creating brand awareness. I'm doing lots of other things. My worth ethic is unmatched. But standing in your store, giving you another 250 of my time, I don't have that. It. And I don't want you to have it either. So when you're in there, you need to tell them, like, yo, Evelyn will help you figure out <laughs> how to move these units, and we don't even got to be here.
0: <laughs> no, it, it. we waste so much time doing that, and there's there's so many things to be doing and worrying about and chasing after that, sitting in a, in a corner of a store for three hours, especially if the store kind of just puts you deep in the corner so you're not actually anywhere near where people are coming and going. So you're just standing in the corner for hours. I, mean, I treat them as three-hour staff trainings. I'll go around and kind of mess with the right, staff and all right, that. Right. But that's not really, I mean, it's not, not a productive use of time when I really add up what's going on throughout right. the
1: week. So. And I'm giving out, when I do the store demos, I'm coming in there and saying, if you buy all three pre-rolls, you get a free piece of merch, mm-hmm. right? So And I did that for a while. And it didn't matter if it was, like, I'd bring, like, five hoodies. So whatever you want off the table, if you bought all three. I was in Barbary Coast. Mm-hmm. Shout out to them because it's a beautiful location. So yeah. this is like no shade.
0: Great lounge, all that.
1: Great lounge. I had not checked what they priced my pre rolls at, so I've convinced a few people to go buy all three. They priced them at I think seventeen a pop, seventeen for a pre roll. Yeah. So twenty forty sixty dollars for three pre rolls yeah. plus taxes.
0: Might as well get an eighth.
1: You might as well get an eighth, and I sold it to you for four fifty. Yeah. And I'm in here giving, and then on top of that, go ahead and add the cost of the hoodie, the $20 cost of the hoodie, and then the cost of my time. That is backwards-ass hustling. I refuse. I'm sorry.
0: No, it's true. It's It's cute.
1: It's good for the gram, but it's backwards hustling. Absolutely. All of it. MJB is backwards hustling.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, it's backwards.
0: Absolutely. I do enjoy going to Vegas for the food. Yeah. But for the rest (laughs) of it, it's not not good.
1: And the bottle popping. There's that. There's
0: that. There's that. Um. So yeah, so you're really all over the place, right yeah. now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I I would I like to say it's not all over the place because I I'm all it's all lining up for me now mm-hmm. in the terms of because this is not my first rodeo as an entrepreneur. When I first came home, I started a mobile detailing company. Like I got a van, I put all the equipment in. I put about four, you know four thousand. I got a good van for twelve hundred mm-hmm. generator pressure washer i'm like 125 pounds and i'm out here with this big ass van washing cars so uh the the pandemic shut that down actually the Somebody bipped the van, stole all the equipment. Imagine
0: that. Bipping in Oakland?
1: Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk? Like, I'm like, we're shut down. Oh,
0: Bipping is breaking into cars for everyone not from the town. and Wherever
1: wherever you are. Breaking into people's property, I think. Like, I looked up what BIP is. Oh, God. It's like It
0: never occurred to me that was an acronym.
1: I think it's an acronym. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe the internet made up an acronym, because I doubt if
0: they did. Yeah, it's shocking. But, um... Yeah, so um obviously you have a heavy entrepreneurial spirit. Yes. Where does that come from? Like who in your family instilled that in you?
1: I would say I would say my grandfather is my only visual representation. Well not really. Like my mom <laughs> this is about to get funny um so growing up my mom had she managed strippers okay. female strippers mm-hmm. so i grew up in a house that like <laughs> often had like stripper parties which is probably why i like to pop
0: bottles yeah, yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely. <laughs> and when i went to loyola marymount entrepreneurship school i uh you had to like pitch your idea like and so, mine has always been a strip club. I, I said I would have a strip club by the time I'm forty. Forty is around the corner. I don't think it's gonna happen. <laughs> but um, so I did see my mom hustling at a really young age. But I I wasn't uh, privileged enough to see my grandfather like live out his working years. Um, how old was I? I was maybe like three or four when he passed. Um, but it lingered so that when I got into the fifth grade and needed a tutor, we could call his account, his estate manager. Um, and because I was the beneficiary every year, I got to see like all of the properties he owned and what they were paying out and what the investments were doing. And I always feel, I don't guilty because there's, there's, there's three of us, me, my brother and my cousin who were the beneficiaries. And I always feel guilty that we dried it out. And so my goal is to replenish it. Um, because he built, I mean, he had tree farms. The the My last tuition payments came f- from selling off the last piece of property, which was a tree farm in Oregon. I would have loved to have that tree farm today. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I just bought a Christmas tree right now for $160, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so that's a
0: real growing, like forget the cannabis growing Christmas trees, bro. That's,
1: that's. <laughs> he got a Christmas He had a tree farm, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and we cashed it in to pay for my schooling and it sounded good, like a good idea then. Cause I was, you know, going to school, but now it's like, what were you thinking? Yeah. Like, get a loan, go figure it out, but keep the farm. And oh, so sure. I just really want to, Replenish all of that. And, and I know it's in, like, I, I've got a picture of grandpa up there. I've got a, uh, at my desk. Like, that's my La Chapelle corner, you know?
0: Well, that's excellent. I think so many of us, when we talk to folks who are either activists or entrepreneurs about where it comes from, it's often a grandparent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really beautiful that in the family. In the I don't community.
1: know why the kids don't
0: catch on. Yeah. Like, it like
1: skips, yeah. you know?
0: Absolutely. I think there's a lot of that. And I think also, like, we listen to our parents' instruction, but we follow the lead of our grandparents a little bit more because like they're that. not day-to-day, like,
1: put your, your, your shoes face. on. Right, it's like, right, I want right. to
0: aspire to this thing, not realizing that your parents are aspiring to that thing, too, and have been showing you that same way, right. but it's easier to kind of see with that distance, you know? I, yeah. I really feel like my grandparents like taught me a lot just by example and, and words, but they were really the same words that my mom was teaching me, but I just received it so much differently from my grandparents. It's it was, it was really important.
1: Right, right, yeah. So.
0: It's amazing. Um. So I often ask folks, in not the most eloquent way, um, no. how has your um, ethnic background impacted what you're doing in business and how you perceive the world around you?
1: Yes, black, first yes. of all. Let's just identify that. I often have to identify myself. Um, it has shaped everything like a Oakland shaped me right then I am like Black Panther in my heart like all the way Huey P. Newton when it's time he'll be tattooed to me like like I'm like militant in that then my first black history class um in college like I don't think you should have to wait to college to learn some history but that was that and so it just like opened my eyes to the the broader picture of what it means to be black in this country um yeah the word that I was going to use so so pretty pretty like heavy on the Mm pro-black and so it has shaped me because in an industry that was really built on the back of the legacy operators um, me being grandfathered into this legacy operators, not on purpose, clearly on accident, but I was a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the actually my co-defendants, they have their own brand, 40 tons. Excellent. Um, and so you guys moved 40 tons of weed, but the money came through my account. So I'm like certified. Um and so knowing that this industry was built on our backs and then knowing that this industry was only prohibited to incarcerate black and brown people. Mm -hmm. Like I had to, I didn't know that going into trial. I learned that coming home, like, Oh no. When they wrote these laws, it was with one intent to incarcerate black and brown people. And so it is shaping me because I'm showing up unapologetically black girl Mm -hmm like i i want to make sure that my that my, my hair is braided like i just i just want i and that's why i had to part from some of these organizations because the whitewashing of cannabis is crazy yeah. the rebranding the fact that it's called cannabis and not weed is weird so uh what was this august not this last what year are we in 2023 so august 2021 i mm-hmm. think maybe 22 the years are flying. I did a billboard campaign in Oakland. I put up six billboards that said weed is not a crime. And I specifically put them up in East Oakland because how is cannabis legal over here in Timoscale or, yeah. and then when you ride through the East, we're still being criminalized for it. Absolutely. And I got a lot of backlash. Like they, 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 Put the billboards up, then they took them down, and then they put them in like some scarce whatever, um, just because of the word. Like they they, it's it's become the slogan. Like weed is not a crime, and owning that word weed, um, because I don't really want to. I don't want to rebrand it, and I don't want to conform, and I don't think we should have to.
0: Yeah, that's actually a major issue. I think people like outside of our community don't really realize it that we had traditional words for. We cannabis yeah. for for years, and then when the industry came came up to the way we know it, there was this push to I guess normalize it or to just take it out of the colloquial context and put it into something a little bit more formal, start using it, calling it cannabis, but then it started demonizing people who still called it weed Weed. or marijuana, people who've been growing up using it, their parents use it, their grandparents use it. It's been in their community and culture for decades, and now suddenly you're telling them they need to refer to it as something different, even though you just started using it yourself, you don't really have that cultural connection to it. They've decided for us, we need to change the name of it because the name's inappropriate, and that that has created a backlash between different communities and how they relate to the plant.
1: There are kids now, I, I had a, uh, a someone that I worked with, a designer that I worked with, her daughter knew that she worked in cannabis, mm-hmm. was okay with it. She was like 17, she was like a junior in high school, and then found out that cannabis was weed, <laughs> <laughs> and was really upset. Mm-hmm. And it's How not- could you? How could you? And so that, what what struck me, and I think this was even before the Weed Lady was created, and I knew I would stick with the word weed, was, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Dante West. Mm-hmm. Um, he also served, I think, four years out in Kansas. And right at his release, he fought for his own release. Uh, Kansas, whatever that city was, they the newspaper came out. And in the crime section, it was a picture of Dante West, who had just won uh, in his charges against marijuana. The DA was definitely going to be recharging him and and coming back after it. Like, it was sad. Flipped a couple pages to the business section. They had just opened their first cannabis dispensary. And I'm like, as the editor of this newspaper... You didn't even catch the, at least say that he's being charged with cannabis yeah. then.
0: Yeah, call it the same thing.
1: Call it the same thing. And so when we call it different things, it makes it okay for some people and bad for other people.
0: Absolutely.
1: So I'm the weed lady. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and I I'm still call about. the weed man. Yeah, <laughs> like. I love
0: it. I love it. I love it. So um, so I guess what's in the near future? I know the podcast is yes. coming, but it seems like you have so many irons in the fire. Or do you have other like things are percolating on?
1: No, that is. I'm stopping <laughs> right there. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> um, let me see. Is there anything else that I'm thinking about doing? I really don't think so. That's crazy because I do normally have like something like that's like far fetched. Mm-hmm. I don't have
0: anything we got a lot cooking now. i got a lot of cooking. Now, so,
1: lot of cooking. Yeah. so, yeah, no, what's next is for sure the uh, Cannabis Entrepreneur Conference in Oakland. We'll do that and invite everyone out. Um, and then uh, the podcast.
0: Excellent. I'm super yeah. looking forward to that. And it's going to be yeah. an amazing podcast. Both you and Jason have strong personalities. I yes. love listening to you guys talk, so I'm We're super crazy. excited about seeing that. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for coming through today. It's thank been a you. pleasure.
1: Thank you. And, um,
0: it's an honor to talk to you, honored honor to figure out all the different things you're working on rep your brand
1: yes call the wee lady.com call the
0: wee lady.com
1: on instagram it's 87 months underscore the wee lady
0: excellent any yes. other ways we can support you
1: um ladies and living org you can absolutely donate to the three programs it has been i won't say a struggle finding the funding uh but most of my projects are self-funded mm-hmm. And we're running out of cash. These pockets are running out of cash. Yes, so yes. please donate to ladieslovingandliving.org. Shop, call the wee lady.com. It's the number one uh, gift shop for the wee lady in your life. So Christmas,
0: birthdays,
1: Valentine's is coming up. Get her a pack and some wee lady merch.
0: I love it. Thank yes. you so much. Thank great you. you. Talk to you
1: again Thank soon. you. Hey. Killed that?